0: So it's
1: it's December 13th, and I think it's 70 degrees outside, and the sun is pouring through every window of this
2: house. Wow. And what does that feel like? Does that feel warm and embracing, or does it feel... A bit kind of like, it's a bit too bright and warm for this time of year. I don't know I what mean, you're talking about.
1: Seeing a lot of sky and having some bright, that bright shiny thing in the sky
2: just cheers me up. How can you truly have a Christmas time if it's it's not bleak and frosty and snowy? In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Right. So um
1: I, I grew up watching Christmas carol services and... Christmas services clearly somewhere in the East Coast or the Northeast on television and thinking it was all wonderful and, you know, praying for some snow. Um, But I'm fine being warm while I watch that on
2: television. So this is our Christmas podcast of race, God and Race conversation. I'm really excited today that we're going to be speaking to one of Rosie's friends today. Um, So Rosie, your Christmas treat. So listeners, uh, producer Rosie is always behind the scenes, but today we're going to let her out from behind the microphones and the headphones. Rosie, tell us about your friend. Let us hear your voice.
3: Oh, right. Okay. So hello, everybody. Um, now, my present is to introduce to you two people, um, Bev Thomas, who you possibly, you might have glimpsed somewhere on the um, roundabouts of Greenbelt and so on. But um, I met Bev because she is also going to be presenting a Heart Edge podcast very different. So no, 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 no. take that shocked look off your face. That's right. She's also going to be presenting a Edge podcast and I have the pleasure of producing that one too. And I've just been in conversation with her about um, the work that she does. She's a social justice advocate. She's a speaker. Um, She's got masses of energy. Uh, I just really thought you two guys should meet her. And so um, here she is up on your screens Azariah and Winnie, meet Bev. Bev, meet Azariah and Winnie.
1: Good to meet you both. Great to meet you. Thank you for doing this with us.
0: Winnie, I've met you before up in Scotland somewhere and Azariah, I don't think I've met
2: you personally. Well, I'm forgettable. You have met me before. Oh my
0: God!
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm forgettable, that's what I am. Tell me,
0: tell me. Tell me. Green, um, Green
2: belt. Greenbelt, yes, yes, we were on a panel together and you were chairing it and, and and getting conversation from me ah. um Lem C and all sorts of all sorts of fascinating um household names that weren't aren't mine.
0: <laughs> I apologise, I do now recall.
2: No apology needed. If we can all smile, I'm gonna take a screenshot. Uh... It's amazing, Bev, it's lovely to see you. So we have um, a a question that we often have for our guests, which is, what is home for you, Bev?
0: Okay, so my family home um, is here in the West Midlands in the black country um, where I was born and brought up. Home for me is quite an interesting question because when I'm in Jamaica, I feel very much at home. And the other place that I have felt very much at home is a place called Iona, which is a little island off the west coast of Scotland. Um, But when I was there, for some reason, I felt at home. So home for me is is where family is, is where friendship is, and where I feel at home. Bev, I have a question for you go on.
1: When did you first realize that Jamaica felt like home?
0: Okay, so I, I didn't go to Jamaica for years. Um, although I had the opportunity, in my teens, I didn't go. I think I went to Jamaica first when I was in my late 20s. And I think I was a little bit more prepared then, because I had this dilemma. Um, so I've always had this dilemma with identity and here in the UK, I was told go home and I was frightened of going to Jamaica and being told the same thing. Um, And lo and behold, I was, I was called English when I went to Jamaica. However, with family and with friends and with the culture, what I knew before I went to school, um, I felt at home, and even if people call me a foreigner in Jamaica, it is my home, very much my home.
2: Gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. And I wonder um, if we were to have met you when you were, say, I don't know, nine, ten, eleven. What kind of activities would we have encountered you doing? You know, if we went into your church and opened the doors, where might we have found young Bev?
0: So I've been at church since I can remember. Started off in a Methodist church and then a Pentecostal church when I was six. Um, you would have you would have seen me kind of with ears wide open, eyes wide open, trying to understand me in the context of what has been preached to me. Um, and the children's Bible I was given where everybody looked European. Trying to understand me in all of that context is where you would have find me. So I didn't say an awful lot. Um, I didn't speak an awful lot, but I listened. Um, and my other thing was I, I was very sporty. Uh, I, I was a runner, a sprinter. And so you would have caught me doing quite a lot of training around um, winning sprint races at school, etc.
1: So Bev, <clears throat> sorry, I have, Oh, actually, just to confuse things, right, because we're because we're doing this podcast. Um, I remember you. I remember meeting you because I thought, wow, she looks so much like me. We look so much like each other. Um, so just to confuse the overall conversation about race, I'm looking at you thinking, oh, we look so much
0: like each other. How good to see you I feel at home looking at a face Can that just, looks like mine. To that. That's really interesting that you should say that, because in, in Edinburgh, people kept mistaking me for you. So they kept thanking me for speaking, and I, we were the only two people in the room, and people kept on thanking me for the the delivery. I kept saying, "Why? Why is it that you can't see that we're different people?" So that is so interesting that you said
2: that.
1: What's great about that? I mean, because of course it happens all the time, right? With all kinds of people that don't look like each other at all, and very few people thanked me. So you got all the, you got all the thanks. <laughs>
0: And I did. I did.
1: <laughs> I, I have to say, I, but it's something I noted when I met you. It's like, oh, there's a face that looks a lot like mine. And um, it made me feel very at home, I have to say. Um, so, but in the notes that we have from Rosie, your friend, um, I see that when you're, it says at right, 10, 11, 12, describing your days in the Pentecostal church, that you quickly learned to preach, it says, around that age. And I am fascinated by that. So... Tell me what that was like. What that what that voice is, and it sounds like that's a, a quiet, a quiet person doing something not quiet.
0: So what was interesting about our church? Um, so we had children's church, which was a replica of the main service, and as kids, um, we did singing, and somebody would help us with that, and we were given opportunities to either share our testimony or to do short talks. Um, and then um, within the context of doing church, they sometimes invited the children church in. And if you were a speaker in the children church context, you were given the main stage and you'd do a minute or two. And then the more confident you became, the longer they gave you. Um, so as a child and as a teenager, contributing to the main service was how I I grew in speaking.
1: I think this is amazing, right? That, that for so many of us, the churches that we come from are places of, of growth, development, tension, something we, we break away from. But as, as you're sorting out who you are in this country, making meaning, you were also speaking in your church about who God is and what God calls you to. So what what were you saying at that
0: age? So, um, I don't know whether this is true of other churches, I can only speak of my experience, but um, whenever we went to church on a Sunday, we were given the task of learning a particular verse for the week so that we could recite it. Um, we were, it was called the golden text. Um, and so during the week you would learn this text and then on a sunday you would deliver it without reading it because it's something that you have internalized and sometimes we were simply asked what does this text mean to you and that's simply what you then went on to talk about and because you've been and that's why i love this verse about the word of god written on your heart i remember so much of the bible from that time when we were asked to do this and you 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 did it with pride um and sometimes large chunks of the Bible, you learnt during the weeks, and so your parents would get involved in reading it to you, etc. Um, and then you recited it on a Sunday, and then somebody would ask you, well, what does this mean to you?
2: That's wonderful, I love that. I love that you were given the power of translating, of interpreting that text, that you were the vehicle and the channel through which that text was understood. A lot of my experience, the the interpretation was already given, and we were expected to accept what was given by the authority figure. In fact, I remember the indoctrination went to music as well. So there was um, a uh, a children's uh, uh, set of songs, and there was a thing called Kids Praise, and there was this blue book called Salty, the Singing Songbook, and I remember. There was a Bible song, but so many of the, um, the messages we had to remember were more about taking away identity than giving identity. So we'd go through the letters of the alphabet in this song. And the first one was, A, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> you know, B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved. And so we went through the whole alphabet.
1: Azariah, so, they occupied your alphabet. Oh, my God.
2: The whole alphabet had a Bible verse, which in the main was quite damning. And, uh... Do you know,
0: we also had an alphabet song, but it was very different to that one. A was for Adam. Okay. B was for Bethlehem. C is for Cain. D is for Daniel. So we, we had a whole alphabet as well, but nothing as complex yeah. you had at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. But well, we
0: also were doctrinated as well. OK. Um, okay. So we were, and this this was my tension. Do you know, we were given liability. We were given the opportunity to express ourselves, but we're also told you're wrong and this is what you need to believe.
2: OK, right. Uh huh. OK. I see. So yes, there's just that sense of indoctrination. Um in the chat, Rosie's just put um one S for Sin a Dreadful Thing. That was another song we used to sing at Sunday school. S for sin a dreadful thing, A for Adam who's a spell, V for Victory, Jesus won, I the one who came to tell. <laughs> Open up I've your heart never to him. Heard that <laughs> yeah, and um it really wow. was a, it was a thing. But We used to sing these songs with smiles on our faces, we'd dance around the place, not realising how much our identity has been dissembled. And for you as an athlete, I'm curious about, did Faith have anything to talk about, to say to to your body, the fact that you were an embodied person? I'm curious about that.
0: Okay. No, not at all. I tell you, um, I had Faith and I didn't believe that my Faith had anything to do with anything else of me. I tell you who helped me to understand who I was in the context of all of that. The lyrics of Bob Marley. Um, Bob Marley for me as a teenager um, and a a 20 year old was absolutely central to me understanding who I was in God. um, And understanding my body and my physicality Um, absolutely was central to some of that.
1: Did you see any conflict between that and what you were learning on Sunday?
0: I was led to believe there was a conflict, but with me, there wasn't. There, there absolutely wasn't because he, he was singing truths from the Bible, um, wrapped up very differently. And if you take the time to listen to his lyrics and, and I did, um, I'd be hard pressed not to be able to know most of what he sang. I just found it really helpful because he helped me identify with who I was in Christ as a woman of Jamaican descent, born in the UK, and that was okay.
2: That's amazing. Is there a, a particular song which began to introduce you to to um, to his work, or can you think of a particular song that had a particular resonance, which which um, which began to challenge that which can we get in other places? Go ahead. The song that still wakes me up every
0: morning, which is my ringtone, is Get Up, Stand Up. That is my ringtone to this day on my phone. Uh, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights.
1: And so was this also the place that w- where you found language around race?
0: So, I... I know that when God wants my attention, I dream. Um... And from a very early age, I I just did not get humanity with this whole thing of one group of people um, are um, better than another group of people. As a child, that's how I saw it. Um, And growing up here in the UK um, in the 60s, there weren't very many people who looked like me. Um, And I understood there was a difference. Um, And within my church context... Um, it was explained to me in my teens when I wanted to explore a little bit more about faith that I was banned from doing so by my parents' peer group. And the reason they banned me and my peer um, from exploring here in the UK was when, when some of them first came to the UK in the 50s and 60s, they were hurt by traditional churches that they were a part of in the Caribbean or in Asia or in Africa. And um, some decided to set up their own um, in people's houses, in school halls, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And because they were so hurt, they chose to ban us from going, crossing certain lines, because they didn't want us to be hurt. Um, and I wanted to explore that, and it got me into an awful lot of trouble. Um, but I wanted to explore the pain and to understand what Revelation 7 meant in the here and now, every tribe, nation, and tongue together worshipping. And all the people I saw in my local church at the time all looked like me. And I wanted to
2: explore that. Babe, that's... Fascinating to hear how boundaries were set up out of love and a desire to protect, but those um, those barriers became imprisoning in some ways. Um, I'm curious of uh, are there times when you encountered, um, began to learn about race in society and community around you? You know what was what was going on around you on the streets that you're walking around in the family settings which began to open up your mind to recognizing that everyone wasn't universally accepting black people here in the uk
0: so i occupy spaces where people don't expect to see somebody like me um and then i quietly watch and listen and when invited to speak speak into the situation and that's what i've spent most of my ministry doing is occupying those spaces where People don't expect to see me at all. Um, One of the first uh, things that I volunteered to do was to become a a minister for a holiday company. So people used to pay to go away on holiday and they would have a minister in uh, as a part of the package who would put on a morning service for them be available for them during the day and to put on an evening service and do communion on the sunday and i was interviewed for this and they asked me some very insightful questions about how would you manage as a single female going on holiday and ex- and people who are a little older than you and wanting to lean on you etc etc you only pay to go on one of these holidays if you need somebody to talk to Um, and so I went to some fantastic places during a 10 year period and met people who were very different to me from middle England, who had paid a lot of money to go on holiday for a minister and they get there and they've got me. And some of them, I watched some people agonize because they just did not know what to do. Um, And I had to reach out and sometimes step back and allow them to go through whatever struggle it was they needed to go through. um, Because they were the one that were in need. Um, And I think the first time I came home from that holiday, I cried for nearly a week. Because it was so, it was so heartbreaking to watch people go through the pain that they went through for no reason. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, Bob, what do you think that pain was? Why, why did you cry for a week? Because I put myself in a situation where I was vulnerable and I had to deal with other people's vulnerability as well as my own and I had nowhere to go. Um, we were there for a week, I was their leader, And whatever I was going through, I had to put aside because I had to be available uh, for this group of 30 individuals. And so I think I I cried because one, I asked myself questions about why would you do this to yourself? Um, But secondly, to cry for the pain that other people go through in not knowing how to reach out to somebody just because they look different and their experience is different and i still don't get that to this day
1: I, had, I mean Ezra, i wonder if you've had this experience i had this experience as a as a new priest for a long time of like we are we're choosing the places we put our bodies right we're choosing where we minister i feel very not at home in the communities i come from um and i'm not called to them i mean i feel very clear about that and i and it's not that it's any more comforting there but I'm the child of immigrants. I live in a world where I am never the face anyone expects to see, ever. Um, and so there's, there, and I'm very at home in that. Um, others are not. Um, other, some might choose to be in a more diverse space. But, um, but the pain of taking on the emotional weight of ministry, like the brokenness of a community and of people, in addition to this kind of, this very specific lane of the confusion of of the the powers and principalities and race and gen you know sexism and homophobia that come upon us in those moments and that we've chosen to stand in these spaces where it both we must wrestle with them um, I, as someone who is like words are my thing I have a lot of words for everything I find like just just a decade or so of just wordless grief.
2: So yeah, for me, I um <laughs> I came to an understanding of of um of having a race and ethnicity and, and that heritage being um important in terms of how people perceive me and eventually how I perceived myself it, it took a long time because the setting and my upbringing um was in a pentecostal setting as well where it was predominantly white working class but the idea was is that you were you're were part of the kingdom so we we're all brothers and sisters together I remember I then became a pastor within this Pentecostal setting and the point at which I tried to encourage people to, um, to think about culture as a feature of who we were. The response was, well, actually, um, we're just working with the heavenly culture. Um, other cultures um, are demonic, um, uh, spiritually dubious. And so there was a sense in which um, we, we transcended culture. So it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s going into 30s that I began to realise that so many things that people said to me, you know, oh gosh, it's amazing, you've got a really novel approach. Um, When I I stood in front of a a group of folks or things like this, was they're actually describing something of my ethnicity and background, something about the way in which I'd been schooled and and the way in which I'd um, um, been taught to to, to be within the world. So, so racial justice wasn't something that was on my radar for such a long time. So my suffering, I internalized and just thought there was something wrong with me. So I, I, I bore quite a lot of shame for a lot of years thinking, how come I can't fit in? Not knowing that I was trying to fit into um, something where, um, where being white had privilege, position and power attached to it. And I could never fit in there. And so I was always felt like an outsider. So, Winnie and Azariah,
0: I I just want to explore this word race because I find it really problematic within the stuff that I do here in the UK in training students. Um, So, I give them words to to unpick. Um, So, the words are culture, ethnic and ethnicity, race and racism. Um, And I send them away to come up with a, a definition for each of those words that stand alone. And usually it is the case um, that I am surprised that people still think the word race has meaning, that it has biological significance and it doesn't. And I, I get quite nervous in theology when people talk about race, if it's not unpacked, because then people go away thinking that this is something that is real and it's not. Um, I once asked a question in a theological college, who do you see in the kingdom of God? This is after I'd asked them to, um, look at these words. Um, and one student responded. So first thing I need to set the setting. I was the only female. I was the teacher and I was the only person, um, of African Caribbean descent in the room. So I asked the question, Who do you see in the kingdom of God? An enthusiastic student put his hand up and said, people like me. I just had held the silence until he understood what he had just articulated. And I think sometimes people get, people don't understand that words have meaning. And when you've already said that you, you are a wordsmith. And this word "race" for me is problematic in the way that we use it within the context of theology.
1: And tell me if I'm hearing you correctly. Um, so I live in a world where people will give you the, in the U.S. the cat, you know, how what is it, What is the definition you must use, right, for race for all kinds of categories? But it sounds like what you're doing in asking them to gen- asking people to generate a definition is getting to what they actually believe is true about these words. Yes. Is that right? Yes.
0: So where I move from there is that there is one race, a human race, even though our laws tell us that there are different categories of races, i.e. in the census that we do here in the UK, they will use different categories. It's a, the word race has only meaning in the sense that there is racism, but other than that, it does not. It is a, um, it's, it categorizes people and helpfully, it's a social construct that has no basis in the reality that I live in and that some people just need to understand that. And depending on your family history, so I, I also do genealogy and I've done um, DNA tests, etc. Do you know, the further back you go, you'd be hard pressed to find nations that aren't apart of who you are,
2: and there's a little bit of Bob Marley there. I can hear just faintly in the background. So sorry about that. What's yeah, fine? no, that's all right. Well, it's, I don't it's, know what happened lovely there. To, lovely to hear the Marley there. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, Bev, because um, you know you are you're challenging so much by crossing boundaries that dream about you being a a bridge builder i wonder have you actually burnt any bridges in the process of being a bridge builder what what does that look like people have burnt bridges for me
0: um which is the, the easiest answer for that so um when i decided that i wanted to understand theology from a wider perspective um the denomination that um basically taught me as a child all that i knew decided to disfellowship me um, for disobedience because i wasn't doing what they said that i should do um but i just had this sense that god had called me to to reimagine what ministry could be like so i ended up what does it
2: mean to what does that mean to disfellowship you
0: so it meant that they took my name off their role book, basically. And I was no longer a member of that particular church. Um, and this happened just as I started um, my second theological college. And I explained all of this to them and they still said I should come. Uh, so it, for me, it was just totally different. Um, but they nurtured me and I grew and went. When I was leaving the college, one of my lecturers, Bob Dunnett, got a little bit concerned um, that I would just fade. And so he rang somebody and asked them if they would mentor me. And I remember Joel Edwards came to my home and um, basically said to me, "Um, how can I help you? And, um, yeah, yeah. how can I help you? And walked with me and taught me much of what I knew and mentored me right up until he left us.
1: Azariah, Joel is someone known to you as well.
2: Yeah, so um, back in 1994, when I was at a Pentecostal Bible college, um, Joel was looking after something called the African Caribbean Evangelical Alliance at that point. And um, and he came and he preached, and it was um and it was amazing to see uh, myself reflected in this person who's full of wisdom, full of wit, and 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 then I became a fan, and so I started following him around. Eventually, he became uh, the the general director of the Evangelical Alliance um, for um, for the country, and then had global responsibility as well up until um, um, and then what happened was I was having some therapy and my therapist said to me, um, a white person, uh, she said, you need someone who understands something of your background and heritage and history in order to help take you to the next stage of the journey of healing from the various traumas and things that you've gone through and so I reached out to Joel, and so he also became a mentor to me and he um he died earlier this year, but he's still very much in my in my thoughts and um and there's a real sense in which uh you know we are part of part of his legacy
0: absolutely a part of his legacy. love him
1: how yeah. beautiful I love the idea that someone would show up at your home and ask ask how they can support you. how beautiful it was. You're making me want to be a Pentecostal, you two, <laughs> which can't, can't be on the record because, wow.
0: Do you know, and I, I wouldn't, it, it's my heritage, but I wouldn't say that that's where I am now. I, I, I wouldn't, I would struggle to label my theology now. Um, yeah, I, I would struggle. So
1: one of the things that you've told Rosie, Bev, that illustrates, I think, your point of, of race being constructed is your experience of being a black woman in other parts of the world. So I'm going to go to parts of the world that might surprise some of the listeners. So tell me about Finland.
0: You've got a story of, uh, of a black uh, angel, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, so um, I used to be very much into politics and um, because of that, I got invited into, into Finland to, to give a lecture. And I don't know why I was reflecting on uh, um, anything at the time, but I, I heard myself in a conversation saying to my host, do you know, I've never seen a black angel. And I wonder why that is. And this man got so excited. He was also a Lutheran pastor. He got so excited and he went away and rang somebody and they took me to this church where a a minister had had done a mural on the church ceiling. And the mural was a history lesson of the Bible, but you could see every nation in it. And lo and behold, there was a black angel. Uh, I was so delighted. I really, really was so delighted. Um, And for me, it just says that, you know, even in places where you wouldn't expect to see people like me, people are thinking about people like me and that we are included and we are a part of the story. And I just found it really, really helpful because as a child, all of my children's Bible illustrated people looking not like me. And so I grew up thinking that I was not a part of the story
2: yeah and so we've heard about finland i'm hearing that there were people who did like you in poland tell us about what happened in poland
0: so in poland this would have been in the late 80s um i went across with a group i think it was an exchange um and it was for a week um and there were probably about eight of us of african and caribbean descent and Wherever we went and wherever we walked, it seemed to cause a stir and I couldn't quite get a handle on it. And I went, we went to this one place and somebody took my hand and started to stroke it. Um, it, it didn't make me feel uncomfortable, but I, I just didn't get what was going on. And it wasn't until I went to a religious bookshop that I saw that their depiction of the Madonna was my hue and they had never seen people of my hue before and that was the fascination that was why they wanted to touch us um, and and get close to us and I found that really really interesting really really interesting Gosh. so yeah I yeah. love that I've traveled and experienced all of this stuff
2: yeah and so the Black Madonna um, uh, the Black Angel is helping you to feel part of the story i yes absolutely uh, i i yeah. know i'm a part
0: of the story yeah. but sometimes yeah. you, you just need these other influences um just to yeah. say yes you were there
2: you were there yeah and you are there That's wonderful yeah and i um in terms of the story there's a carol which I believe is a is one that you like, which has um uh this phrase, a slave is still our brother. You know? And um and I used to sing that carol without realizing I was singing those words because I, I wasn't prepared to understand. It was social commentary that there was something of, of justice within it. You know? Um you know, the one, um uh where there's the line of chain, shall he break? the slave is still our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease
0: i I yeah. cry. Do you know I could listen to that song every day and not get fed up of it
2: i I, I just yeah.
0: think it fantastic. Yeah. yeah, gosh,
2: have you got some early memories of encountering that?
0: For me, it was the music before it was the words. Um, okay, I, yeah. I I love to sing, or I used to love to sing. I don't sing as much as I used to. Uh, I used to sing in choirs, etc. And I think it was the music that got me first, and then the words. Um, and I'm hearing people sing it online, etc. And it's just phenomenal. I think it's the best Christmas carol ever
2: written personally hmm. yeah do you know much of the history i of it? don't
0: and now i'm going to have to yeah. explore
2: yeah i mean it's it's incredible so there's a, a catholic french catholic priest wanting to have a poem a christmas poem but wanting to go outside of of um of, of the norm and so went to a wine merchant a friend of his who didn't even wasn't part of church at all and said, but knew this wine merchant liked to write poetry, said, would you write me a Christmas poem? The friend wrote this poem, and then they looked at it and thought, actually, this is probably a song. So they then went to a secular Jewish guy, who was a composer, and said, could you put some music to this? So the secular Jewish composer put the song to the, um, to, the, to the wine merchant's poem, and then the priest used it. No when way. When the Catholic Church discovered that it wasn't bona fide Catholics that had put this together, they tried to ban it, which made it far more popular. Meanwhile, in America, some abolitionists got a hold of it and translated it into English and began to sing it as an abolitionist song. You know, it's just like <laughs> the song is just so dynamic. It's so dynamic. Are you kidding me?
0: So for all these years I've been singing this song and
2: I didn't know this? Wow. I mean, I just love it. It's powerful, isn't it? Because it makes me think, gosh, um, how can we, God is at work outside of the church and the church has got so many blind spots. So it took this wine merchant and this secular Jewish composer to talk about slavery that was so ubiquitous. But the church wasn't speaking about it and definitely not singing about it. It never even occurred to me to look at the history of that song.
0: That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah.
2: Well, I think instead of our usual grace music, Let's end this podcast with the choir of St. Martin in the Fields singing O Holy Night. Thank you Bear, for being with us. Thank you Winnie, you Rosie, thank you Heart Edge. Thank you to all of our listeners. We love to hear from you. We're going to take a break in January but we will be back come February. We wish you all a very happy Christmas.